Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We're on a, a series of teachings on the book of Psalms, taking a, one psalm each week. And uh, Josh has been doing that. Pastor Matt last week did a great job of doing that. And so it's my job to take one of the psalms. And out of all the psalms, I chose one, that one you might not think, uh, but it's really meant a lot to me for many, many years now. And it's Psalm 51. Do you know what Psalm 51 is? Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. And so we're actually going to talk about repentance today. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So Psalm 51, let's read it. It's going to be on the screen. David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always, always before me against you, You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Can you all feel this? Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You don't delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Is that powerful or what? It's loaded, and we can't go through all of it, Uh, but I'm going to take a few things out of this. And I'll just say this, we're dealing with repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance is repentance of sin. Now, when I grew up in church, I grew up in a church that focused on sin a whole lot. And I I don't want to say anything that disparages my upbringing, church upbringing, because I owe so much to it. I have a great legacy of all the things I learned growing up in, in the church culture that I did. But I will say there was a lot of focus on sin to the point to where that everything was a sin. I mean, just practically everything was a sin. I got saved every Sunday. 
And, and a lot of us young people did. It's true, because we felt guilty all the time and condemned. And so, you know, as I really grew in the Lord, I knew that wasn't right. So we, as a church today, we solved the problem today, haven't we? We solved the problem by just not talking about sin. So, you know, we've just gone to say, all right, we'll solve that problem. We won't have any fire and brimstone preaching, you know, hellfire brimstone. We just won't talk about sin. And folks, have you ever noticed in church today, in so many churches, that if you do get around it, there's just almost no talk about sin. It's like you don't even hear the word in the church. When you hear the cross mentioned, it's usually mentioned in relation to how we get you know, blessing in the cross, prosperity, healing, and all the good life. But, you know, primarily what the cross dealt with was sin. I mean, it's like, hello? It's like, how can we avoid that? You know, and if that's what the cross dealt with, then what it means is that's exactly what we need is whatever the cross did in dealing with sin in order for us to live that whole beautiful life that people talk about. Amen? So we need to learn how to deal with, I mean, head on with the whole idea of sin and confront sin in our lives, but yet do it in a, in a knowing way, an understanding way that is not, you know, condemning, but is, it, that brings the guilt you all know the difference between condemnation and guilt, right? Condemnation comes from the devil, guilt from God. So sometimes they may feel a little alike. But just because, you know, you saved, God loves you doesn't mean you won't have guilt. Thank you for a tremendous response. But anyway, you know, some people think when they get saved, they just, I'll never feel guilty again. And uh, it's just not true. So anyway, let me get into this, and I'm going to get into this this way. Psalm 51 is one of the few psalms that it actually gives us, it pinpoints for us exactly when this happened and uh, what was going on when this happened. And I'm going to give it to you here if I can find it. Here it is. Listen to this. It's just the heading. Even if you're looking in your, on a, your phone in the Bible, it says this way. This psalm is to the chief musician, a psalm of David... When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So that's when this happened. And so y'all know basically the story, right? It's a pretty popular or familiar story, but let me retell it for you so you can really grasp, you know, what's going on in this story. Here's the story. The story comes from 2 Samuel chapter 11. They're going to put it on the screen. Look at this. This Psalm 51 is written in the midst of this story, or after this story. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I'm pregnant. Can you believe this? Don't you love it that the Bible concluded all the good, the bad, and the ugly? I mean, you know, I look at this story, it's crazy. You know, he goes, sees this woman, now he commits adultery with her, she gets pregnant. So what's he going to do? You know what happens from here in the story, if you read the rest of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11? What happens is David immediately gets an idea that I'm going to cover this up. And so he sends out to the battlefield for Uriah, her husband, brings him back home, tells him to go into the, his house with his wife, hoping that he'll have sex with his wife so that he'll think the baby is his. But it doesn't work. Because Uriah is such an honorable uh, soldier that he refuses to take such pleasure while his comrades are out there dying in the battle. And so it doesn't work. And so... David has Uriah killed. And after he has David, Uriah killed, he quickly marries Bathsheba so he can bring her in. And when she has the baby, then people will think it's a legitimate, legitimately conceived birth. And now David thinks he got away with it. So can you see this? It's like, one sin on top of another sin on top of another. And I think God puts these types of things in the Bible just to give us hope that God will forgive us and restore us. But David thinks he got away with it. So now he's going along, and after a little bit, God sends the prophet Nathan to David. You ever heard the statement, be sure your sins will find you out? Trust me, God knows. And so God sends the prophet Nathan, and when the prophet Nathan comes, he tells David this parable, and this parable is about a rich man who takes advantage of a poor man, and he steals everything he has. And Nathan is telling David this parable, hoping that David will indict himself, you know, say, oh, you confess, say, oh my God, that's me. But he doesn't. Instead, he becomes self-righteous and, and, and judgmental, and he says, that man ought to die. He needs to pay for what he's done. And Nathan looks at David, points to him. He said, David, you are the man. When Nathan says this, it's like, the next thing Nathan says is this. I love this. Nathan says, why have you despised, David, the word of the Lord? And immediately David breaks. Finally he breaks. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And when David says, I have sinned against the Lord, the next thing that happens is astonishing. Astonishingly, Nathan says, David, the Lord has put away your sin. I think, what? 
what? I mean, David just says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, David, the Lord has put away your sin. I think this is outrageous. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba's raped. She's pregnant with his kid. The baby's going to die, by the way. The kingdom's affected. His family, if you look at his history after this, after David sins, his family is royally messed up. And I think, come on, man. And you say, I'm just going to, God, I'm going to pass over it because this guy just repented of it? Is that justice? And in these two things here, we see the severity of sin, how, how deep and horrible sin could be, but how glorious and free the grace and the mercy of God can be in forgiving us of our sins. How deep and how far His mercy will go to rescue us out of the pit of desperation that we're in. I just love that. And so anyway, God says, the Lord has put away your sin. But he says, he said, you shall not die, Dathan says. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have scorned the Lord. The child that is born to you shall die. Now, I, I listen, I want to bring you on a point here. Listen to this. Really in this, when we just read this statement where David says, I've sinned against the Lord. If that's all we read and we don't read Psalm 51, we may have a tendency to think, Oh, that's repentance. You know, we, all we have to do is just say a sentence. You're just like, oh, I sinned against the Lord. But when you read that Psalm 51, you see there was a whole lot more to it than just that. In Psalm 51, we see the depth of repentance that David had. But also we see this. When he says that the baby will die, I want to make a point here. That whenever people sin, depending on what the sin is, sometimes sin can really hurt and affect a lot of people. And when you get forgiveness of that sin, you can't expect God to correct all of those things that have been done or wronged just because you're forgiven and restored to God. That there will be consequences sometimes, and you have to accept that fact. And I just bring this out because I've had people messed up about that. Well, can't God make everything right? He makes everything right in the end, but sometimes your sin messes up stuff that can't be made right in this lifetime. So anyway, somebody say thank you, Pastor Rick, for that great positive point. Anyway. So anyway, it brings us to this psalm. This psalm. And in this psalm, there's so, this is what true repentance is. And here's really my thesis, I think, in this. And that is that, you know, first of all, in the church today, we seldom talk about repentance, and we should. I mean, we need to, because folks, let me tell you something. I don't know, I mean, I think that I'm in the right crowd here. Don't we all sin? Oh, that was real pious. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Don't we all sin? I mean, you know, we're all messed up in some way, and, and we sin. And so don't we all need repentance? But yet, to have something, there's nothing more fundamental than that. 
How why, how do we have something so fundamental and yet not deal with it? Talk about it, preach, teach about it so that we can do it properly. And I guess my thesis is, is that many times people will repent, but I don't think they get the benefits, the full benefits of what repentance is to bring because they don't fully repent, because they don't truly repent. And I think God gave us Psalm 51 to show us what true repentance looks like. So I'm going to bring five things out of this real quick if I can. Um, you know, five ways David responded to the misery of his sin. And this is true repentance. Number one is this. You ready? Number one. For you all who are taking notes are going to like this. I'm going to have points today. So anyway, that's not like me normally, all right? Number one, he turns to the mercy of God as his only hope. Look at verse one. Verse one. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So three times he says, have mercy upon me. God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, God, I need mercy. So David's repentance begins with this. God, I don't have a leg to stand on. I'm not here because I deserve forgiveness. I'm not here because I have anything I can do to merit it. God, in fact, you know when David cries out for God's mercies, he started, he's, this is the way he starts repentance. God, what I need is mercy. I don't need justice, God. I don't need, I need mercy. Well, you know, that's in essence what David was saying. God, here's where my repentance starts. God, I know that if you decided to damn me to hell for eternity, you would be just in doing that. I would have nothing to complain about. You would be absolutely right. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And your people today, some people today think, you know, they ask this question, how can a good, a just God send men to hell? And it's actually the wrong question. The right question is, how can a just God not send men to hell? In other words, if we looked at what we really deserve, but we don't really look at that, we don't see that, you know why? Because we really don't understand how big God is, who God really is. If we understood who He really is and how big the gulf, the chasm is between us and God, then we, only then do we understand when we sin how gross our sin is against this God who created us and loves us. Hallelujah! Mm. So anyway... When David cries out for mercy, I love this. You know, when in the throne room where God is, in front of his throne is an altar. And that altar is called the mercy seat. And it's called the mercy seat because, you know why? Because blood is there. Substitutionary blood. Jesus, when he rose from the grave, went to heaven and he poured his blood over the mercy seat of heaven. And it's been there ever since. And so, you know, when David's crying, God, I crowd for mercy. I plead for mercy. You know what he's doing? He's actually pointing his finger to the mercy. God, look at that. Don't look at my sin. Look at that, God. Look at the blood that's on the altar of the mercy seat. Ah, I love that. Good preaching, Brother Rick. Thank you. I'll go on. Listen to this. All right, number two. Listen to this. Number two. Number two. He prays for cleansing from sin. 
Look at verse 2. Wash me, David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And so you got to feel what David is what David is feeling here. Whenever David says, God, wash me, wash me, wash what he's saying is, God, I don't just, just want forgiveness. I want to be clean. You know, everybody who sinned has, knows this feeling. God, I, I, yeah, I, got I think I got forgiveness, God, but I still feel dirty, God. I just feel unclean, God. And he says, God, take your hyssop. What is the hyssop? I love this. You know what the hyssop is? The hyssop was a branch that the priest, the Levitical priest used for several things, but one of the things they used it for is when someone had got a disease and had the disease for a while, and then they got free of the disease. It was gone. Once it was gone, they were removed from the house. Once it was gone, the priest would go into the house, dip the branch in blood, and wash the walls of the house with the blood on this branch of this hyssop because they believed that the, the disease had gotten into the house. And that if this man comes back, even though he's been free to the disease, if he comes back before the house is cleansed, that he will get the same disease he had before. And David says, God, I need you to take your holy hyssop and wash my house. I've been forgiven, but God, my house is dirty. He says, God, clean my eyes. Wash my ears. Wash my hands. Wash my feet, God, this body. I love it. You see, repentance goes far deeper than just forgiveness. It's a washing, a cleansing of the house. Number three. Number three, David confesses at least two ways that his sin is extremely serious. Let me say it again. David confesses at least two ways that his sin is extremely serious. In other words, in other words folks, I think this is where many people miss it. We get the first two, the mercy and the cleansing. But this thing of taking the sin very seriously, and here's what I mean. David doesn't try to make light of his sin. In fact, he goes the opposite direction, and he belabors the seriousness of his sin. I mean, he's tossed, saying all these things. It's like indicting himself over and He didn't just say, okay, God, I've sinned. I mean, he pours it on, baby. I was born this way, God. I've sinned against you, God. All these different things. You know, we have the tendency to do the opposite, even when we do what we think or say is repentance is come with repentance and try to minimize the seriousness of our sin. You know, it's like, you know, because it makes us feel better, like it's easier to get forgiveness. Does anybody listen to what I'm talking about here? You know, it's like we, we go and say, well, God, you know, it's like, yeah, I did it, but I didn't mean to do it, God. Or, you know, that lust thing, God, that sex thing, lust thing, you know. I mean, God, I mean, I, you do know I have a big sex drive, you know, God. 
or, you know, that anger thing. You do know my dad had anger. My grandpa had anger. I come from a long line of angry people, God. So, you know, God, I have a problem with that. Y'all listen to me today. You know, that lying thing, God. Well, you know, I'm just insecure. Stop it. It's like what David is saying here in the story is stop, say, stop it. Don't go that route of trying to minimize it because when you try to minimize it, what you're doing is ultimately subconsciously you're trying to gain some of the merit of forgiveness on your own. And you forgot point one, which is you need the mercy of God. The mercy of God means you have no hope or no help whatsoever without God. You have no leg to stand on. And so David, David goes the opposite direction. When we try to minimize our sin, you know what we end up doing? This is real popular today. We end up not calling it sin. It's a struggle. Oh, I've been struggling, you know. Oh, y'all sinner, you. You've been sinning is what you've been doing. You know, it's like I've got an issue. Oh, Jesus, help us. Just, just slap your face. Slap your own face. So listen, this three was, David confesses at least two ways that his sin is extremely serious. So one of them is, and I'm calling this for you note takers, 3A. Are you proud of me? 3A. 3A says, this is, he says, David says, I can't get this out of my mind. Now watch this. This is powerful. Verse 3, verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, you get what David's saying? I mean, I relate to this. Like David's saying, God, so I'm forgiven, but I can't get this thing out of my head. The tape or the video keeps playing over and over and over in my mind. And it just won't stop, God. I get up in the morning and it's there. I, get a, I go to bed at night, it's there. God, I, God, help me. This thing won't stop. I need it to stop, God. Does anybody relate to that? Have you got one of those from 10 years ago? Five years ago? It just won't stop playing over and over in your head. And David says, Here, here's how far my repentance has to go. It has to go beyond forgiveness, beyond to even a clean vessel. It's got to go to the level to where that God so purges my mind that all the tentacles of this sin lets go of my mind and that tape stops playing in my brain and I am free from it. Hallelujah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Three Bs. Three, y'all can tell I'm quite proud of myself today, can't you? Three B's. The way he, he emphasized the seriousness of his sin. Here it is, three B's. The exceeding, the exceeding sinfulness of David's sin was that his sin was only against God. Now, this is powerful. The exceeding sinfulness of his sin was that his sin was only against God. Look at this, verse 4. Verse 4, you ready? David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. 
And to me, folks, listen, now we're getting into some heavy stuff here. This is powerful. I look at this. David says, God, against you only have I sinned. And I think, what? (laughs) Did you see Bathsheba over here? I mean, dude, you raped a girl. You hurt her. Uriah, I think you could say you hurt him. He's dead. The baby's going to die. He's hurt. Your family's messed up. They're hurt. You've got hurt people lying everywhere. What do you mean your sin is only against God? And boy, I delved into this until I finally got it. The issue is that our sin hurts a lot of people, but our sin, you can only sin against God. In fact, the definition of sin itself, sin by its very nature is that it is against God. And I say this because until you see your sin against God, that it's not just against people, then many times you can go ahead and minimize it, you can excuse it. You know, many people repent of their sin because of the consequences their sin has caused. Come on, y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about here. They repent because of the consequences. Because they, they don't like it because it's caused bad things to happen. People got hurt or they got hurt. They've lost something in their life. But David is saying here, I want you to know something. I get this thing. That I'm not repenting because of the consequences, what's happened either to me or to all the people around me, as bad as all that is. I'm repenting, God, because I realize that my sin is a violation of your sovereign goodness and love. My sin is a, is, is a violation or a betrayal of the fact you created me. You're my maker. You redeem me with the blood of the cross. So my sin is a it, my sin is a sin against the cross, it's a sin against the blood, it's a sin against the Holy Spirit you put on the inside of me to comfort me, to deal with me. I've sinned against all of these things. I've sinned against you, God. Hallelujah. And you know, it's necessary to see our sin only against God because until we do, when we're only repenting because of all the stuff around us, the people it's hurt, or the fact that we've got hurt, you'll never be changed. You'll never get the cleansing and the forgiveness that you want. And I think really that's what I would say a lot of times repentance is for many Christians today. It's going through emotion. Maybe they get some kind of appeasement of their conscience temporarily. But there's no deep cleansing because there's no deep understanding that their sin is against God. And things still plays over in their mind. And so they live in this kind of tense, this tension of I'm loved, I'm forgiven. But they have to keep telling themselves that all the time because they don't feel loved and forgiven. Folks, listen to this. Don't miss this. When you are truly, you truly repent and you're truly forgiven, You don't have a problem feeling the love of God. 
You don't struggle with it all the time. And so people live in this tension trying to feel love, telling themselves there is no sin, but the sin has not been totally dealt with. So anyway, everybody say heavy. All right, thank you very much. Number four. Number four is this. Number four, David pleads for renewal. He pleads for renewal in two ways. And I love this. You see, David wants far more more than forgiveness. He wants to be restored to his relation, his relationship to God. It'd be like this. You know, if I come home, or if I wake up in the morning, my wife and I were getting ready, and in the process of, you know, doing what we do in the morning, I do some dumb thing. I say something stupid to her that I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry after I said it. Has anybody ever done something like that? It's like it's just crazy, you know, and now I've hurt her. Now it's done. Oh, my. And now she's hurt. So now everywhere I walk around the house, she's got her back toward me. Go in the kitchen, she got her back. So I come around the other way, she turns her back the other way. And it's like, oh, what do I do? And so now I want forgiveness. And so I want forgiveness. So I come and I ask her to forgive me, but it's not just some kind of like, you know, mechanical thing. It's like I want to get her hand, head and face in my hands and just say, look at her and say, honey, I'm so sorry. I was a jerk. I messed up. Because, listen, my goal in getting her forgiveness, is not just to get the forgiveness. See, that's what many Christians think. Oh, now I'm forgiven. And they go on their way. My goal in getting Donna to forgive me is not just so I can walk off to go off to work knowing, well, I'm forgiven, praise God. But I want to come home from work and have that girl have, have all of her muscles relaxed where she's not all tensed up. And then when I hug her, she doesn't... I want it to be when I come home, there's a sparkle in her eye and a smile. And when I hug her, she hugs me, and it's all good. I, I can tell the difference. So, so the, the goal of my repenting is not to get forgiveness. The goal of my repenting is I want her. You get that? And the, repent, the repentance, the forgiveness is a process that gets me to her. And so anyway, I love this, that David, he, he wants renewal. God, I want renewal of my relationship. And I love this, 4A, you ready? Two ways he wants that restored, 4A. Please make a note that Rick said 4A, all right. 4A, he pleads, God, don't leave me. God, don't leave me. Now, this statement here and the couple of them after this, to me, are the most heart-wrenching statements. I don't know how you can read these statements and not feel them. Verse 11, verse 11, David says, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, do you all feel that? I can feel David's passion here. And more than that, I can relate to it. You know, folks, I got to tell you that the most fearful thing in the world for me, I mean, I can't think of anything more fearful to me than the thought that the Holy Spirit would leave me and not come back. 
Because when the Holy Spirit leaves, wait, 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 you know, people say, well, well, wait, can that happen? Well, first of all, the Bible says that God, His Spirit will not always strive with man. There is a thing called the unpardonable sins. We know that there's, there are things that can take God's Spirit from you. But I'm not really talking about that because most people think they've committed the unpardonable sins. People that come to me anyway down through the years have not committed the unpardonable sin because when they come to me, I look at them and they've got tears in their eyes. I've committed the unpardonable. And I look at them and I say, well, do you still want Jesus? Oh, yes, I want Jesus. Would you like to repent? Oh, yes, I'd like to repent. I said, well, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. I said, because when you commit the unpardonable sin, you no longer have any place for repentance, not for forgiveness. You get forgiveness if you can repent, but whenever the Holy Spirit leaves you, you can't repent. You no longer have any desire to repent. So I said, the fact that you still want this, that you want him, is proof that you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. But that's not the point I'm making here. The point I'm making is that in our relationship with God, we can so override the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Spirit, and the dealings of God over time to where that we become callous and hardened to where the, we no longer hear the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit becomes quieter and quieter and quieter, and you can become so hardened to where that you can come into a place like this, and, and, and in the worship, you don't even feel anything anymore. Let me say that again, because it may have happened today. You come to this worship, and you think, oh, well, I'll be glad when they get done with that, because I really don't get the worship. Folks, do you understand that is a danger signal? When you don't feel anything in the praise or the worship. When you no longer hear the voice of God in the message. If you're hearing this message today, it's irrelevant whether I'm preaching good or not, you know, and it excites your fans. That's irrelevant. This is the Word of God. If you're here today and at some level this does not move you or somehow, you know, awaken you or if you don't feel anything, then, folks, you need to check yourself. You're in a danger zone because what you're saying is the Word is being preached and spoken today, and I don't feel a thing. Hallelujah. Korashte. My goodness. David was saying, he was saying, God, don't take your spirit from me. For B, for B, David prays for a heart that is renewed and steadfast. David prays for a heart that is renewed and steadfast. I love this. Look at verse 10. These are so good. Verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. David wants not just to be forgiven. He wants to be changed. He wants to live differently. He's saying, God, I'm tired. I'm just tired of repenting over and over and over for the same things. I'm just tired. You ever felt that way? I'm tired of repenting, thinking I'm never going to do it again. And then I repent again. 
later and I think I'm never going to. I just keep repenting. I'm tired of repenting. In essence, that's what David says. He says, God, I'm tired of repenting. I, I want a clean heart. I want a changed heart. I want, to, I want you to renew a steadfast, a steadfast spirit within me. And I love this, the way that's going to happen. You ready for this? Don't miss this. It's in verse 12. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. I love this. He's saying, God, I want to change life. God, I need a steadfast spirit so I don't fall back into this, God. I, want to, I don't want just forgiveness. I want to change the way I'm living. And I like it. He moves to this. He says, so God, what I need is I need you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. What's he saying here? David, is in essence, is putting his finger right on an important issue. And that is saying, God, I realize that my problem with continually falling back into sin is not just the issue of the sin itself. It's the issue that I have lost my joy in God. I've lost my joy in salvation. What David is saying is this. I love this. The antidote to sin is a white-hot love for Jesus. You stay close to Jesus, and you'll stay far away from sin. <laughs> this is what he's saying. God, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I want to be changed. So God, I realize I've messed up because I did this because when I was supposed to be in tune with you, close to you, and out fighting the battle, I was weary, and I quit praying. I quit staying close to you. I was sitting up on the roof, all wore out, vegetating, and because I lost my joy in you, I fell into sin. The best remedy to not falling back into sin is to fall in love with Jesus. You know, which leads me to this point. One interesting thing I got out of this psalm, it's so, it's so powerful, is did you notice through this whole psalm that not one single time does it mention sex? I mean, isn't that how it all started? And it doesn't mention murder. It doesn't mention lying. But sex, you think, well, it didn't mention sex. That's how it all started, isn't it? Or is it? What David is saying is, it's like David doesn't even address the issues of the sin, like the sex, the whatever. It's like because David finally gets it. God, the reason I fell into this adultery is not just because I've got a sex drive. It's much deeper than that. The sex was let loose because I lost my fellowship with you. I lost my joy of salvation. Oh, I like that, don't you? So he says, God restore to me the joy of salvation. Number five is this. Number five, he asks God to use him again. He asks God to use him again. Look at this, verse 13. This is powerful. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, David says, and sinners shall be converted to you. Look at this. You know what David's doing? This is so powerful. You know what David's doing? I know exactly what he's doing. He's saying, 
Now he's got this forgiveness, cleansed. But there's still this thing playing over in his head that because he's done what he's done, God will never be able to use him again. It's like, God, will, will you still use me? Because whenever we do certain things and falling into sin, the devil comes along and he feeds us with this lie that we have become disqualified, that God will never use us again. But I want to tell you today, listen to this. If you come in true repentance to God, you don't come back as a second-class citizen in the kingdom. You come fully restored. I want you to do this. Everybody stand to your feet with me, if you will. Stand to your feet with me. and I'm going to read this poem. This is one of the, a poem that Donna wrote. Just listen to this. The poem itself is called Repentance. He placed his finger under my chin, lifting my face. I want the team to come with you. Let me start again. He placed his finger under my chin, lifting my face. I couldn't look at him. So full of shame, I trembled at his touch. My heart was all broken. I'd hurt him so much. I promised the last time I committed this sin, I'd be strong next time and not do it again. My pain is now double. I must run away. I lied and I sinned and have nothing to say. Caught by his spirit, convicted, brought near. My face in his hands, what will I hear? Caught. He knows that I love him and long to do right. Yet so weak I fell with hardly a fight. Oh, Jesus, my Savior, I'm sorry I cry. I beg your forgiveness and won't explain why. Please just forgive me. Please just once more. I'll make no more promises like I did before. As I wept in sorrow, peace did enfold. He wrapped around my spirit and comforted my soul. His, saw, his voice soft as breezes in springtime I heard, releasing my spirit like a cage-wounded bird. With instruction and warning, he said, listen to me, something essential was missing, you see. Never in your strength can you walk along. Never in your strength will you ever be strong. I alone have power over sin. I know its source and where it will end. Look at me always and don't turn aside. Sin falls away as in me you hide. The light of my glory changes you within, destroying forever the power of this sin. Remember this well. Keep your eyes on my face, for sin cannot enter a heart filled with grace. Isn't that powerful? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.